0: following message is from the North Shore Christian Centre MP3 Audio Lounge. More information about North Shore Christian Centre is available at www.mscc.org.au. If you can put the scripture back on from uh, Mark chapter 14. This story of, um, of Jesus being anointed is found in Matthew 26, Mark 14, And John chapter 12. And Matthew, Mark and John give perspectives from the same story. And they're all a little bit different. When you read the three together, you get a a better picture. But there's a confusion. And the confusion happens with another story in Luke chapter 7. Because Jesus was anointed in Luke chapter 7 and this is probably two years before the Passion Week and the Bible talks about her being in, Jesus being in the house of a man called Simon who was a Pharisee and a woman who was a sinner coming to anoint his feet and so what happens is that people get the two story mixed up because in Mark 14 we're in the the house of not Simon the Pharisee but Simon the leper and the woman that comes is not a sinner per se in in that sense of the word, but Mary, who was the sister of Lazarus and the sister of Martha. And so the setting is very, very different because one happened two years previously. This happens in the Passion Week where Jesus is based in Bethany, which is about two kilometers from Jerusalem, and he's in this home as a base from which to do ministry into jerusalem the week before the crucifixion but let's look at that first phase he's in the house of simon the leper have you stopped to consider what that means let me talk to you a little bit about that just for a little moment because nicknames are incredibly powerful aren't they how many of you had nicknames when you were growing up Well, the fact is that this was a nickname for this guy called Simon because he was once a leper. He said, well, how do you know that he was still not a leper? Because there is no way in the world that he would have been allowed to live in community if he was still a leper. See, in those days, as soon as you were diagnosed with leprosy, you were actually cast out of your community so let's, let's, let's do a little bit of background on Simon for a little while because Simon one day would have woken up and found some sores on his body and wondered, what is that? Would have gone and got himself checked out and would have been diagnosed with leprosy. Now, you've got no idea the turmoil that that would cause because being diagnosed with leprosy in those days meant... That you could not live in community. It meant you could not live in your house. It meant that you could have no close contact with your family. It meant that you had to move into another community that was reserved for lepers. So I don't know if you can picture the day where Simon has to say goodbye to his family. He's got to say goodbye to his children and takes whatever possessions he can and has to walk out of his home totally cut off from his family and friends and place and community to go to a leper's colony. So then... For whatever reason, the story changes. And and, and in my imagination, I see this guy, this this Simon, desperate, saying, "What what can I do to turn around my situation? I can't heal myself. But he would have heard that there was a miracle worker called Jesus. A miracle worker called Jesus who was healing people. And whether it's Simon or not, I don't know. But in Mark chapter 1, we get a glimpse of a leper who approaches Jesus one day. He finds Jesus. And he says, Jesus, if you are willing, you can heal me. But I don't know if you're willing. I don't know if today... It's your will to heal me. And the Bible says that Jesus moved with compassion when he saw this leper. Something of his life, something of his story moved Jesus with compassion. And what you'll notice in the Bible is this, that every time Jesus was moved with compassion, a miracle flowed out of his life. And when he saw this leper, he said, of course I'm willing. And he laid hands upon him and immediately the man was healed. Immediately, the leprosy left and the miracle took place, just like it took place in Joshua's life. This instant miracle took place. Now, he had to follow procedure. Now, he felt that he was healed. He had to go to the leaders of the community, to get himself checked out, make sure that he could go back into into society again. But can you imagine, he gets himself checked out and then he walks into Bethany. He walks in and people say, well, there's Simon the leper. They were used to calling him Simon the leper. What are you doing in here? He says, I've got good news. What's the good news? Jesus has healed me. I'm no longer a leper. And the news would go, did you hear about Simon the leper? What's the story with Simon the leper? He's been healed. He's no longer a leper. What? Simon the leper is no longer a leper. But we'll still call him Simon the leper. (laughs) Simon the leper. That's awesome. And so can you imagine... Can you imagine what it was like when he starts shouting, I'm coming home! Jesus has healed me! I'm coming home! Jesus has healed me! And his children run out to embrace him. His children come out to love him. His children come out and say, oh, we are so glad to have daddy home. What a joy that would be. And this is me using my imagination, but I can imagine... The next time Jesus was in Bethany, Simon, the leper, said, Jesus, you're coming to my place. We're having dinner. I need to introduce you to my family. And so he brings Jesus home. He says, let me introduce you to my son. This is Lazarus. Let me introduce you to my two daughters. This is Martha. This is Mary. Can you imagine? You say, hang on. Hang on. Let me press pause just for a second. Press pause. You say, how do you get that? Where do you get that from? This is where I get it from. This whole scenario of the anointing of Jesus in Bethany happened in Simon the leper's house. Matthew and Mark tell us it happened in the house of Simon the leper. When we get to the Gospel of John, John says it happened in the house of Lazarus. So they're either contradictory or... The house of Simon the leper and the house of Lazarus is the same house. And so in Bible days, the son owns the house of the father. And so the father's house passes on to the son's house. And so when it was written, it was definitely Lazarus' house. But when the event happened, it was definitely Simon's house. So that's where the conclusion is drawn. That Simon the leper was actually the father of Mary and Martha and John. Now, some of you are searching your scriptures right now. Just save it until you get home, okay? Because I've got, I've got a few other things to share with you that'll just, that'll, just, that'll just shake you a little bit. Because, wow, I've read this story, I don't know how many times, but i never heard it said like this before. Okay, let's press play again. So Mary's first introduction to Jesus was the healer of her father. How would, a, how would a young lady feel when she's being introduced to the man that restored the family? The man that brought daddy home. The man that reached out and touched daddy. Wow, Jesus, you are awesome. I just love you so much. And so they're sitting in the house and Jesus starts teaching. And, and Mary, her, her best position is right at the feet of Jesus. Just right there. Ah, Jesus. And she's, on on every word that he says, just just listening. Oh, oh. But Martha, I mean, she loves Jesus as well, but she's got responsibilities. That's why, in my mind, Martha is definitely the older sister. Why is that? Because I just know that the older siblings are always more responsible than... Christelle is shaking her head. <laughs> Where are you going with this? I, I, it's just the way that it works and so, so Martha's working in the kitchen and she's you, just getting more agitated you know I just need help here and look at my youngest sister she's just there that's where I want to be but I can't because I've got responsibilities and, and 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 finally she just can't handle it anymore explodes and say Jesus will you send my sister into the kitchen and and she says leave her alone she's chosen the better thing it's okay and Mary just feels so protected. How many of you know that when someone comes to your defence like that, you just feel so protected? And her love bank just, just it just the, you know, just overflows. Oh Jesus, you protect me against my nasty sister. I love her, but she can be a pain sometimes. Jesus, you're awesome. Then, you know, Jesus just kept making the house his base, and just and the Bible says that he loved this family. They loved him. He loved them. He did so much for them. They just couldn't do enough for him. And then the day comes, as Drew mentioned earlier on, that for whatever reason, Lazarus, the brother, dies. And so they're calling for Jesus. Lazarus is sick. Please come. And Jesus was busy. He couldn't come. And Lazarus dies. And and they're in grief. And then after he'd been dead, for how many days was Lazarus dead before Jesus arrives? Who can tell me? Four days Lazarus had been dead for four days they're still in the middle of grief, and Jesus comes to their house and there's you know they're just going over and they're rehearsing the grief and the pain and Jesus says no this wasn't this is not leading to death this is leading to the glory of God he goes to the tomb they roll back the stone and he calls Lazarus come forth and Lazarus stepped out of the tomb now let, let me tell you something it's one thing to see leprosy healed but to see someone rise from the dead. My goodness, that just sent Mary's love bank all over the top. It was Jesus. There is nobody like you in the universe. And she was right. Are you getting the background? And so finally, we get to the Passion Week. We get to two days before the crucifixion. And Jesus is explaining to them, I've come to die. I've come to give my life for your sins. I've come for this purpose, to pay the penalty for all of your wrongs so that you can have all of your sins washed away. And in a few days' time, I'm going to be dying in your place. And this particular night, they're at dinner. So he's Jesus based in the Passion Week in their home. And he's going from their home to Jerusalem to preach and to teach and to tell parables. And then he'd come back into their home. And this is just two nights before the Passover. And Mary's just overwhelmed, overwhelmed with Jesus. and just And while they're in the middle of dinner, something comes over her. She says, I just want to express my love for Jesus. I just want to express, he's done so much for me. He healed my dad. He's taught me. He's given me life. He's protected me. He's, he's, he's raised my brother from the dead. Now he's about to go and die for my sins. I want to give him something precious. And so she goes to a room and she finds the most precious thing that she had. The alabaster flask. That the Bible says was worth 300 denarii. We lose the value of that because most of us don't know what a denarii is. A denarii literally interprets to 10 donkeys. So what's the value of a donkey today? I don't know. 10 donkeys. But in those days, a denarii was, in in layman's terms, a day's wage. So even if we call a day's wage today $100 300 denarii would be $30,000 so the minimum value of that little flask of spike that little alabaster flask of spike minimum value is $30,000 but you know what there's an even greater value than that why is that because nobody goes out and buys a flask of Alabaster oil just to stick under their bed? Well, what's the significance of it? Let me tell you. This is what I believe. That Simon, the leper, before he went to the leper colony, went and bought the dowry for his daughter. And the dowry in those days was the flask of spikenard. And the bride would save it for the marriage day. And on the marriage day, the bride would get the dowry, the most precious thing that she had, the most expensive thing that she had, especially if she came from a well-to-do family. And she'd break it open and she'd pour that that oil on her bridegroom's head onto his body and rub it into his feet. And it was a symbol of her submission and devotion to a husband. And then what would happen is that The perfumes would merge into his body and her body and they would have the same smell and they would enter into married life with the same smell. An incredible picture of submission and devotion. Mary goes into the room and she gets that which was saved for her marriage day. And when she walked with that gift, she walked into the room As the bride of Christ. Not just Mary. But Mary representing you. And representing me. The bride of Christ. To be connected to him. And she broke that alabaster box of $30,000 or more and she began to just pour that anointing on his head. And as it went down his body onto his feet, she just rubbed it into his feet and wiped it with her hair and just, and the perfume of it all just mingled. It just mingled. The Bible tells us that it permeated the air, but it permeated into the pores. Of Jesus' feet and Jesus' head, and it permeated into her pores. He said, What's the significance of that? Well, let me tell you what the significance is. Two days later, Jesus was going to be crucified. And when he went to the cross, the only thing that Jesus carried to the cross was the smell of Mary's anointing oil. When he hung upon the cross and he's facing just this agony, every now and then the whiff of that anointing oil would come into his nostrils and and he'd remember, I'm doing this for my bride. I'm doing this for my beloved. I'm doing this for them. And as that blood spilt from his body, He was thinking of Mary. This blood is for you. He was thinking of his bride. This blood is for you. That's the love, the compassion that was demonstrated on that day. You can come, Amelia. How precious. How precious. How precious was that gift? But it was only a reflection of the preciousness of God's gift. The Bible says, for God so loved the world. That word so is connected to what he was willing to give. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The giving of Jesus was a connection to the love of God for God so loved the world that he gave how many of you know that what you give is really a reflection of what you love I asked Ross this past week and I just love Ross I'm just so thrilled that God sent Pastor Ross and Amanda to our church anybody else thrilled about that we just love you guys I said, hey, Ross, just straight out of the blue. He had no no inkling. I said, if someone gave you $30,000, what would you do with it? And so he had no idea that I was setting him up. No idea whatsoever. And so then he began to share with me some of the things that he would do with the $30,000. Then I said, because he started to put value on that $30,000. And I said, do you know how much that alabaster flask of oil that Mary spilt over Jesus was worth? I said, $30,000. How amazing is that? But that was a reflection of how much Mary loved Jesus. And what we have there is this, this comparison between Mary and the disciples because at this stage, it was the disciples that were indignant towards Mary. In Acts chapter 7, it was the Pharisees that were indignant to the the sinning woman. But here in Matthew 26 and Mark 14 and John 12, it was the disciples, the followers of Jesus, that were indignant towards Mary's worship. Why is that? Because as yet, the information they had in their head hadn't quite spilt down to their heart. And that scene in how many of them ran off at the Garden of Gethsemane when persecution was on, they all high-tailed it out of there. Why is that? Because they had a lot of stuff in their head, but it hadn't quite sunk down to their heart. And so they, they're calculating in their head, what could $30,000 have bought? Man, we could have fed poor people. We could have done this and, and done that. And Jesus immediately steps right between them and says, leave her alone. You guys are just, you guys are thinking about this on a different level. She's operating out of a level that you guys aren't operating out of. She's operating out of a level of worship that you guys have got no idea about. And do you know what? Let me tell you something. When you fall in love with Jesus, it just changes your whole attitude to life. And so, so you know, I mean, I can still remember when I was trying to work it out, the whole idea of lifting hands up was just terrifying. Why? Because it was all about me. What will people think about me? What will people say about me? But you know what? When I overcame that, it's I don't care what people think about me. It's what I think about Jesus that matters. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm not looking around at what are people thinking? What are people saying? I couldn't care less. It's Jesus, what are you thinking? Jesus, what are you saying? Because my whole spirit, soul, and body is focused on you, not at what people are saying or doing. I'm not going to be dominated by what people think about me. Why? Because I'm more concerned about what God thinks about me. So here's this room full of people. And Mary, she just dives in. She is totally oblivious to what other people are thinking. Why? Because she just wants to worship Jesus. She's so in love with Jesus. She's wanting to give Him her most precious. Because she understands that He's giving her everything. But not the disciples. They're standing back saying, what is going on here? You crazy fanatics, what a waste that is. And what will your poor husband think when they know you've spilt it all over Jesus? Her attitude was, it is all about Jesus. It is all about Jesus. My life is all about Jesus. It is all about you. Thanks for listening to this message from the North Shore Christian Centre Audio Lounge. We invite you to visit us online at www.nscc.org.au. Through our website, you can keep up to date with what's happening in the life of our church in Chatswood, New South Wales, as well as accessing other free resource materials.